We were at a party, and it was one of those parties where everything you ate was delicious, and there was no shortage of food on the spread. I looked over at my wife, and she said, here, try one of these, try one of these strawberries, because remarkably, I'd missed the fruit uh, portion of the spread on my first pass through. And... Uh, <clears throat> I took it, and the strawberry was delicious, but not only was the strawberry delicious, but they had that succulent white marshmallow cream sauce on the strawberry that just, I mean, you could dip rotten fruit into, this, into that sauce, and it would be fine because it's just that good. And I decided I would go get some of that, and so I went up, and I loaded my plate up with food and just kept spooning the marshmallow sauce on there, three or three or four scoops. Came back and sat down and, and took a strawberry and was just covering every square inch of it in this marshmallow dip. And right as I was doing that, the host of the party came over and he was smiling and, and we were talking. And I put the giant strawberry into my mouth all at once. And it was halved. I'm not a savage, all right? But the strawberry was halved. But I popped it all into my mouth. And it was absolutely disgusting. Because it wasn't marshmallow dip that was all over my strawberry. It was sour cream. Now, I'm about to say the first controversial thing I'll say today, and that is this. Sour cream is from Satan. It's, it's, that's all there is to it. Sour cream is always disgusting. It is never good. It is never good. And I now have a choice to make. Do I spit out this strawberry in front of the host? Do I try to explain what's happening? Or do I just put a little smile on my face and painstakingly chew through the strawberry and swallow and then try to take the biggest drink I've ever taken in my entire... And so that's what I did as the host was sitting right there talking about how great the marshmallow sauce is. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm smiling and I swallowed it and I took a giant drink and it was it was gross, and it's not at all what I was expecting. Today we're going to be talking about something that's unexpected. And sometimes in life when we get the unexpected, it doesn't pan out so well. Sometimes when we think we're getting marshmallow dip, we get sour cream. Sometimes in life, surprises are fantastic. But today, as we continue horrified, we're going to be seeing something that's unexpected. If you have your phones or your tablets, we invite you to follow along with us in an, in an app called the Bible app. And once you download the Bible app and you open it up, there's an event feature within the app. And you can follow along with us right in there. It enables you to highlight things, take notes, write down questions for later, interact with us. That's all available to you free of charge. But we're going to be looking at Ezekiel 37. But before we do that, before we look at God's prophet Ezekiel and his 37th chapter of the book, I, I want to catch us up from where we were a week ago. Last week, we saw the very first king of Israel. His name was Saul. And God had Samuel install Saul as the very first king of Israel. But God gave Saul a mandate. There were, there were an evil and wicked group of people called the Amalekites. And God told Saul to completely annihilate the Amalekites, to take the Israelite army into battle and wipe the Amalekites off the face of the earth. 
And Saul and the Israelite army went into battle. And they were very successful. But they fell short of following God's commands. Because when it came time for them to execute everyone, Saul kept alive their king. And not only that, but he kept alive the best of their possessions, even though God had told them to destroy everything. And this disobedience enraged God to the point that he withdrew from Saul and he would no longer communicate with Saul. So we saw last week that as Saul was preparing to go into battle against the Philistines, as he saw the Philistines were getting ready to attack the Israelites, he was fearful. And he cried out to God, and God wouldn't respond to him. So Saul went and he visited a medium, and there we saw that the story Saul was given was that God was going to destroy the Israelite army by the Philistines, and that he would die, along with his sons, the very next day. Well, fast forward around 400 years, and that's where we're going to be today. And the story of Israel is a story for many of us. It's a story for many of us. That there are times where things are really hard. And in those valleys, when times are really hard, the Israelites do a great job about remembering the promises of God and crying out to God. And in those moments when life is difficult and when there's nowhere else to turn, the Israelites turn back to God and God hears them and he delivers them and he blesses them. And in times of blessing, they forget about God and they start to rely upon themselves. And in the process, they lose sight of what's really important. Well, this has happened throughout their history. And this has happened again. And only this time, instead of the Philistines, it was the Babylonians, because we're 400, year, 400 years later than when the Philistines came in. And now the Babylonians have come in, and they have destroyed Jerusalem, and they have taken the Israelites who lived into captivity. They've taken them out of their land, they've destroyed their land, and now they are people who are held captive. And that's the backdrop for us to look at Ezekiel 37, where we read these words in Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. Now, this is something that we all want. We all want the hand of God upon us. We call it different things, whether it's the hand of God or we want God to bless us, whatever the vocabulary may be for you. This is a universal trait that's true of everybody. We all want God's blessing upon us. That's something that just every single one of us wants. We want God's hand. And today what we see is Ezekiel had God's hand upon him. He had God's hand of blessing upon him, and he takes his prophet Ezekiel, God does, takes his prophet Ezekiel, and he gives him a vision. He gives him the vision, and the Lord set him down in the middle of the valley, and I don't know about you, but here's what I'm expecting. If I'm expecting the hand of God to be upon me, and I have God's favor in my life, and God is blessing me, the hand of God is upon me, and God takes me to a valley, we're going to a valley, and it's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. 
It's beautiful scenery. There's a nice refreshing river running down through the heart of this valley. The, the scene is idyllic. It looks straight from a Bob Ross painting. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. There are no bugs. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. There's plenty of shade for those times where you've been in the sun just a little too long and you go in the shade and once you're refreshed right away. That's the valley I think of when God's hand of blessing is upon me. That's the valley I think God would take me to. But the valley God takes Ezekiel to is not that at all. In fact, there was no grass, there was no river, there were no bugs, wasn't too hot or cold. No, the valley that God takes Ezekiel to was full of bones. What? This isn't this, idea, this idyllic setting that you would think of. And he led me around among them, verse 2 says, And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. He takes them on a tour and interacts with the bones. There are bones everywhere. And they're dry. They're dead. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now this is like, uh, this is like somebody who already knows the answer to a question, asking a question. It's like a parent asking a child a question or somebody who already knows the answer to the question before they ask the question. A couple weeks ago, my wife's sister got married in Ohio, so we went back to Ohio. And in the midst of all of this craziness, in the midst of, of all the craziness of the world of 2020, God has chosen to bless me for some reason, and I'm, I'm not sure why. But as, we, as I stand here today, right now, talking to you, the Cleveland Browns are three in one. Now, listen... <laughs> For those of you who are Packer fans, you don't understand the significance of this. This is a typical season to you. In fact, you could argue a little bit of a down year if you're 3-1. and one. Why'd we lose a game? We should be 4-0. and oh. You do not understand the plight that I have had for the last 20 years as a Browns fan. In fact, a few years ago, we didn't win a single game all year. We are lucky to win three games in a single season. So the fact that we're 3-1 and one right now just means God is pouring out His blessing upon me. A couple weeks ago, the Browns were one and one. And I told my wife, I said, honey, I've got the game recording. I don't want any spoilers. I don't want to know anything at all of what happens. Because you have to understand, one of my wife's spiritual gifts is spoiling sporting events for me. And she, she doesn't even try to do it. It's just a gift that God has given her. She'll be like, oh, did you hear the Giants won by 17? Well, thanks, honey. I'd recorded that game. And how do you even know that? Because you would normally never look at the scores. But if I've recorded a game, she sees the score. And without even knowing it sometimes, she's just like, oh, yeah, this happened in this game. So I made it very clear. I don't want any spoilers. Please, 
No spoilers. I put my phone into airplane mode for the drive back so that none of my friends would be texting me about the game. We got back Sunday night. I, I turned on the TV. I started the recording. Surprise, the Browns didn't start that game well. They were playing the Washington football game. But believe it or not, they rallied, and they took the lead early in the fourth quarter. And my wife looks over at me and says, so do you think they're going to win? Well, now I know they're going to win. You just spoiled it for me because if you knew that they weren't going to win, you wouldn't have brought it up. You wouldn't have said anything. But you knew that they were going to win. She destroyed the whole game. And she's like, what? That wasn't a spoiler. I was just asking your opinion. I didn't do anything wrong. Why are you mad? What's wrong? I'm like, come on. But that's what's happening here. God knows the answer to this question. He knows the answer to the question as he asks Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel's like, oh, Lord God, you know, because Ezekiel, he's flashing back. He's flashing back to seeing his land destroyed. He's flashing back to the pile of bodies. He's flashing back to the smell of death and decay, to seeing the city ransacked, seeing things set to fire and God said, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And then verse 5 says this, Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. God declares he will take these dead bones and make them come alive. And I just want us to pause and remember something right now, that it is never too late for God to work. It is never too late for God to work. It might seem like a lost cause to you. You might think that evil has won, that evil gets to write the final chapter. You might think that there is no hope, that loss is all that you're ever going to experience or ever going to see. You might shake your head and say to yourself, it's too far gone, it's over, it's a foregone conclusion. It's never too far gone for God, and you are never too far gone for God to do something incredible in your life and through you for His glory. It is not over, and it's never too late for God to show up and do something incredible. And I will say, and I will lay, excuse me, verse 6 says, and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. And God, de God declares there will be tissue and tendons and ligaments all added on to these bones. These bo and it's nothing but bones. Everywhere that he looks in this valley, it's nothing but bones. And it's not just a couple bones. It's literally bone on bone everywhere that he looks. And God says, I'm not done. And I'll take these bones, these dead, dry bones, and I will put tissues and tendons and ligaments on them and I will, dis I, I will restore them. They will be covered in skin and God says, I will give them breath and they will live. And so I prophesied, Ezekiel said, as I was commanded. 
And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. Now, Ezekiel does as he's commanded, which is a really good idea, not only because of how things have gone for Israel when they don't do that, but you're in a vision with God, and you're in a valley where there's nothing but bones. So if God's telling you to do something, it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. And so he does. He does. And all of a sudden, as he prophesies, as God commands him to prophesy, he hears a rattling. Oh, and have, if you've ever heard when your bone hits something or a bone-on-bone -bone collision, you know the sound. Like, we like to sanitize everything and, and make, it, you know, make it nice and clean and, and comfortable. But if you're like me, you hate anything, anything medical-related. I was on a hospital visit one time. And this gentleman, he'd asked us to come to the hospital, and we were at the hospital, and the, the nurses and the doctors came in, so I said, I'll, I'll go wait in the hall. I said, no, you're fine. Hang in the room. And then I watched as they took a needle and inserted it into his stomach to give him a shot, and I thought I was going to pass out. And I just start sweating, like, just profusely, and I'm wiping the sweat off of off of my forehead, onto my sleeves, and they're done with the shot, and they leave, and I'm getting ready to leave to go in the hallway to catch my breath and hopefully not pass out. And he grabs my hand, and he says, why don't we pray? And it was the longest prayer I have ever heard in my entire life. The room felt like it was 127 degrees with no airflow. And I just am trying not to pass out the entire time because I'm queasy and I don't like to look at anything medical related. And here, here's Ezekiel in the valley and it's bones everywhere you look and it's dead dry bones everywhere you look. And now, he hears that grotesque sound you've ever heard if you've hit your bone right on something or if you've ever heard a bone-on-bone -bone collision with somebody and they're rattling. and They just keep rattling together. It's like a snare drum of bone-on-bone -bone just over and over and over and the bones somehow in some way just start flying up and they start coming together and I looked and behold there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them so now there's tissue and tendons and ligaments all added on to these bones. There were just piles and piles of bones everywhere that you looked. And now these bones have been brought back together. And now that they have some form and now skin covers over them. Skin's on top of them, but there's no breath in them, which is fantastic. So now we've gone from a vision of just a valley of nothing but bones into God writing the very first episode of The Walking Dead. We're surrounded now by zombies. Fantastic. What a heartwarming vision to be given if you're Ezekiel. And then God said to him, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. And God says to, the, God says to Ezekiel, call 
Call for the wind from every corner of the globe. Call for the wind from all around the globe to come into these bones that they may live. Remember, Ezekiel was a prophet. He was a prophet to the nation Israel. And the nation Israel had that had that routine that we talked about earlier. God would bless them. They would do well. They would forget about God and their blessing when times are good, just as many of us do. When times are good, that's the hardest time for many of us to follow God because we start to rely on ourselves. We start to think of our own competencies. We start to think of the things that we've accomplished. We start to think about our own strengths. And if this year's taught us anything collectively, it's how desperately, how desperately we need God. How not in control we are of anything. How the entire world has been brought to a, to a screeching halt and brought to its knees by a virus that we cannot see. And cannot contain. How quickly, how quickly everything that we are secure with, everything that offers us a sense of security can be ripped out from us instantaneously. And every time the Israelites would experience blessing. they would start to diminish their need for God. They never handled blessing well. And may that be a challenge to each of us that in times of blessing, when God blesses us, may that be a challenge for us not to lose sight of the fact that we need God just as much in the good times as we do the bad. May we never lose sight of the fact that just because God is blessing us, it doesn't reduce our dependency upon Him. When they would lose sight of that, God would get their attention. And then the hard times, when there was nowhere else to turn, they would remember the promise of God and they would turn back to God. Well, this had happened, and so now they're, they're dispersed from the land that God had promised them. They're all over the place. And God says to Ezekiel, call for the wind from all over the place that these people, this nation, would be restored. So I prophesied as he commanded, verse 10 says, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. So now breath comes on the bones in this vision that Ezekiel is given, and now they are once again alive. The nation has a renewed hope after being thoroughly decimated. Let this serve as a reminder for us as well that we are never too far gone. There is nothing there is nothing you have done or could do. There is nothing you have done or could do to repel God to the point that He no longer loves you and desires a relationship with you. Nothing. 
And here we see through this prophecy that God's people have a renewed hope after being thoroughly decimated. And verse 11 says this, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. We might ask ourselves, what does all this mean? Well, Israel, God's chosen people, they've been utterly defeated because of their refusal to honor God. And let's also understand this truth. That while there is nothing you can do and nothing you could ever do and nothing you have done that could repel God from desiring a relationship with you and loving you, let us also understand this truth. That God loves us enough. God loves us enough to allow us to experience pain in order to come back to Him. God loves us enough that He is willing to allow us to experience pain to get our attention. So that we we come back to Him. And maybe today, in your heart, you know the truth. Maybe it's been an incredible time of blessing. And maybe you've lost sight of your dependency because of that. Or maybe it's just the choice that you've made in your life not to fully honor God. There's a lot of things about God that you want, to, you want to abide by. And there are a lot of things that you want to do. But there are certain areas of your life that you're just not willing to hand over. And you wonder why you find yourself in the circumstances you find yourself in. You wonder why you're experiencing some of the things that you're experiencing. And maybe the answer and maybe the reason is because a loving God loves you enough to allow you to experience pain so that your dependency upon Him would be reminded to you and your relationship with Him would be renewed. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. God tells us, I'm not done with my people. I'm not done with my people. And the promise delivered here is to his people, but it's similar to the promise that all of us who follow Jesus are given. And that is this, that death does not have the final word. That Jesus is victorious over death. And through our hope and through our faith in Jesus, we too will be raised from our graves. That the people, Israel, would be given the Spirit of God. But we too, at the moment that we make the decision to follow Jesus, we would be given His Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. 
and they would be given a permanent home. And we, who follow Jesus, are promised a permanent home. A home in heaven where we will be with God forevermore. And then verse 14 ends this way. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Notice what God does here. He appeals to himself. He appeals to himself on this promise because there's no one higher. There's no one greater. There's no higher thing that God could appeal to when he makes this declaration. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. God appeals to himself because there is nothing greater and no one greater than God. So our challenge is in this time of uncertainty, in this time where everything is out of control and everything is falling apart, our challenge is to focus and to cling to that which is certain. And that which is certain is this, that God is greater than any obstacle that we face. That God is more powerful than anything we encounter. And none of this catches him by surprise. Whether you haven't left your house since March, or whether you carry on your life day to day and act like not much has changed, there are levels of uncertainty that have crept in to all of us right now. And there's no getting around that. There's no escaping it. It's there and it's true for every single one of us. No one is immune and no one can get past that. It's just there for every single one of us. All of us are dealing with a time right now in, in, in just an age where everything is uncertain and all the more reason that those of us who have the hope of Jesus must remind ourselves daily that we can cling to that which is certain and that is the fact that God is greater than anything that we encounter. He is greater than death and He's promised us hope through the work of His Son, Jesus. And, and we can take we can take peace in knowing that fact, which means our hope is not found in a virus. Our hope is not found in trends. Our hope is found and only found in the fact that we serve a certain God who loves us and sustains us no matter what comes our way. And in the time where everything we hear is uncertainty. And where that message wants to yell louder than any other message we may hear. We have to remind ourselves who God is. 
and that he is in control and that he has a plan for our lives and that he loves us. That doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. As we've seen, God's willing to allow people that he loves to go through hard times. But it means that we don't have to face every single day with a level of uncertainty and being unsure about what's to come. That we have a hope that we can hold on to because it's bigger than us. And the challenge is for us to remember that, not just when times are tough, but the challenge is for us to remember that when we are blessed and when times are good. And to be people who handle blessing as well as we handle trouble. And to realize we must cling to a certain God no matter what our circumstances are. But He is greater. And as a result of the fact that we follow Him, we have nothing to fear. God, I pray that in all this uncertainty, we would cling to you. I pray, God, that as all the doubt and the frustration and the anxiety tries to take over our heads and our hearts, that we would reject that And we would instead cling to that which we know is true. That we would find our peace and our relationship with you. And we would hold fast to the fact that we can count on you. I pray, God, that we would be people who do well with blessing. That we don't fall into the trap of thinking we don't need you when times are good. That we would have a dependency upon you no matter what our circumstances are. God, I pray there were times are tough. We'd be we would be quick to cling to you. God, I pray for the parents and the grandparents who are here today whose hearts are breaking right now because of the path that their kids are on. And God, I pray that you would just whisper into their broken hearts right now just a reminder of how much you love their kids as well. And God, while it's painstaking to go through, 
I pray that you would just whisper to their hearts the truth that as much as they love their kids and their grandkids, you love them even more. God, we pray that you would get their attention and we pray that they would fully turn to you. Help us remember even when we've given up, even when we think it's over, that you always have the final say. So God, whatever we face, whether good or bad, may we cling to you. May you work in us through us, around us, and in spite of us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.